Well, good morning. I hope you guys are all doing well today and enjoying your summer. Can you believe summer's like rounding the final corner? I cannot believe that. That is crazy. My family and I were out the past couple of weeks on vacation. It was very nice. And we had two weeks of uh, amazing messages. I call them the Tony Squared messages. We had Tony Liberatory and Tristan helping them for week one and Tony Salve here last week. They did a tremendous job. And if you missed any of those messages, you can do, go to our YouTube page at Impact Pittsburgh and check them out and catch up to where we are today. I really appreciate all their efforts as we continue on this message today, Life Lessons from Jesus. If you're here today online or in person, take that Connect card in front of you or online, fill it out so we can learn more how we can meet your needs, pray for you, or maybe <clears throat> help you move beyond the weekend services. I do just want to mention before we get into the, today's message that we are uh, going to be discussing some some. Uh, 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 delicate subjects today that might be um, a little, little tough for some of our younger ears. And so just some parental discretion. If you have a younger child here and you're, you're concerned about that, you can connect them to Impact Kids uh, as we get into this message today. But let's go ahead and pray as we prepare our hearts and our minds for today's message. Father in heaven, <clears throat> we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you've gone before us and the ways that you've moved And Lord, right now, I just pray that you move in our hearts and our minds. Lord, tear down any walls of defensiveness that we may have, that we may see you and just experience you. Lord, move in our hearts and our minds that we may hear your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, there's no doubt we live in a world of gray, an infinite amount of gray. You know, it's so hard sometimes to determine what is right and wrong. I mean, not everything is just so black and white that we want to make it appear as, as it is. But some, there is so much gray in our area that makes it so hard to figure out what is right, what is wrong, what really is God trying to say, what is his heart. And on top of that, we all have our different allegiances that take a hold of our hearts And what the problem is, because we're walking through this world of gray, and because of our different allegiances that we may have, and because of our different experiences that we also have in our life journey, it affects how we interpret the world around us, and ultimately how we interpret the Bible. You know, our interpretation of things in the world around us is based upon, a lot of times, our perceived quest for happiness. You know, and down deep in all of our hearts, we desire to be happy. And more and more in our culture, in our world, that has become the primary ambition of our lives. And so much so that we've become a culture and a people and a world that has begun to deconstruct and destroy anything that restricts us from achieving our perceived ideas of happiness. And it just kind of muddles up even more this world of gray that we live in. And it muddles up even more how we view the circumstances around us and how we interpret the Bible. So let me just ask you, do you interpret the Bible based upon your experiences and your allegiances? Or do you interpret your allegiances and your experiences based upon the Bible? Can we just take a step back and be reflective? And be honest with ourselves? Because that question 
is paramount in our ability to fully experience the heart of God and what he's calling us to and driving us towards. And we all struggle with it, myself included. We interpret based upon our experiences and based upon our allegiances when the God says, I want to be how you interpret the world around you. You need to put on your God lens. You know, my friends, I'm walking gently, gentle here, but we're in a significant culture war. A significant culture war all around us. And I know the tensions are super high. They're super high over all different types of issues. And here's the struggle. In the high tensions, in the, in the elaborate culture war that we are in, and the arguments that are going on all around us, what tends to happen is we have some of us who are trying to dictate how the world is going to operate around us, and we find ourselves sitting on the throne telling everybody what is right, what is wrong, and how you need to live. And then we have another group of people that are like, I'm sick of it, and they're running from the throne. They don't want anything to do with the throne, when in reality, we need to become a people who are all bowing down before the throne. And that's the struggle we're in. That's the struggle we're in. And so can we just kind of take a step back today and just take an honest, reflective look of ourselves. Avoid the temptation of, oh, that person should be here. I'm going to tell that person that thing. Let's take an honest, reflective look of our own selves and compare it and drive to run to the heart of God. Because in a different era, on a different in a different time with extreme political battles and extreme cultural war over the issues of their day, Jesus stood among all the people and delivered what was one of the most profound sermons this world has ever heard, which was the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that we're walking through this summer. And in that moment, he was dealing with some significant earth-shattering, divisive issues. And he began by saying in Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've, come to abol- I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, in this moment, Jesus is shifting the focus of where everybody's hearts and minds were in that moment. He was shifting their focus from the letter of the law to the heart of the lawgiver. He was trying to get to the point, you guys are so focused on following every single detail of the law, you're missing my heart. You're missing the whole point. You're missing the big picture. You see, this is all about moving towards the character and the will of God. Which comes to a very important question. What is the will of God? 
You know, we ask it all the time, don't we? We're all in our own different ways searching, God, what is your will for, your, for my life? I hear so often, Bill, can you tell me what is God's will for my life? And so often when we're asking that, we're asking for, the, for us to, to answer the 2%. Okay, where am I going to work? You know, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go out for lunch today? You know, where am I going for vacay? All that different stuff. When God says no, that is so small. In the whole big picture of things. You see, to answer the question, what is God's will for your life and my life, can be summed up in one word, and that word is righteousness. Righteousness is just that Bible fancy word that means to be right before God. And so what Jesus is getting at here is my will for your life, my heart for you, is that you be right before God, that your life is in a constant pursuit of righteousness. That's what this, this is all about. But we get everything so mixed up because we get so focused on, okay, well, what does he mean by this? Well, this is what you should do. And since you're not following it this way, you're wrong, you're bad, get out of hell, all that different stuff, right? Saying so you're missing it. My heart, my will is for you to pursue righteousness. And what Jesus is dealing with here are people who are getting so caught up in the letter of the law that they miss the heart of God. They completely missed God's heart and his, his desire for us to pursue him, to pursue righteousness. You see, my friends, our primary life goal must be righteousness. Must be righteousness. Because this is the seeking the heart of God. And this reveals itself in our life. So again, let's just take that reflective look. What does your life exhibit? Your everyday life. How you treat people. How you talk to people. Your attitude towards people. Even those people who you disagree with and who, who are making choices in their life that, that, that you... That, you know, are not in, a, in line with what God's heart is, even those people, what are you exhibiting? Because it matters. It's righteousness. Is it righteousness? Or is it self-centeredness? Is it based upon my desire of what makes me happy? See, Jesus was addressing this crowd of religious people and religious leaders. <clears throat> and they thought they were doing good. Why? Because they thought we're following the law to every single detail. We got it point by point and we're living it out and we are doing amazing. Look how great we are. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, you are missing it. And a lot of these laws that you're living in your own life is developed because of your own experiential interpretation of what I've been trying to tell you. And he's saying, you're missing it. You're missing my heart. And Jesus was going after something deeper here. He was saying, let's take a look at your heart and understand your heart in comparison to the character of God and God's heart and his will for us based upon our pursuit of righteousness. Which again goes back to the fundamental question, what does your life reflect about your heart? If I was to see you out, in your day-to-day -day life and only knew you based upon how you treated people by your attitude, by how you talked, by the choices you make, what would your heart reflect? What would your lifestyle reflect of your heart? I mean, it's important. 
That's what Jesus is getting to here. Our pursuit of righteousness. He's revealing that there's a greater righteousness that we all should be trying to obtain, that we should all be running to, that's based upon the character of God. Now don't get me wrong. Jesus had and showed a tremendous amount of respect for the law. He was not saying, hey, the law is done. It doesn't matter anymore. Goodbye, Old Testament. Everything. He's not saying that. He's saying you're missing the deeper purpose here. You're missing God behind all this. He's revealing something within our own hearts that's still present today. The same struggle that was present in the hearts of all the people back then is still the same struggle within all of our hearts today. And sometimes we get so focused on making sure, am I following the law? Am I doing all these step-by-steps? Am I doing the right stuff that we miss the heart and character of God behind it all and how we should be living it out? We miss the pursuit of righteousness. And sometimes in our miss of pursuing righteousness and we get so law-driven, we then make other people who may be failing in other areas of their life that maybe we don't struggle with, we make them feel less than and other than and we begin to push them out. And then we miss the whole big picture. And through Jesus' message, He's moving us towards God's redemptive intentions for us to experience and what the world should be experiencing through us. That's what he's getting to here. See, God's heart for us is to live out this greater righteousness that we experience his redemptive power and that others begin to experience his redemptive power through us. That's what he's trying to get to. He's saying you're missing it because you're so focused on the letter of law. You miss the heart of the lawgiver. Last week, Tony Salva did a tremendous job kind of opening up the pages of this discussion by talking about the but statements. And again, if you missed that message last week, go to our YouTube page at Impact Pittsburgh and check it out and get caught up to where we're at today. And today we're going to be dealing with some, some deep issues other issues of the law that Jesus went right after in this message about murder, adultery, and divorce. Regarding murder, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 21 through 25. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is a derogatory statement that they would make to other people to tear them down, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while, they are, while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. You know, Jesus is revealing something here, that murder is deeper than physical violence. And the reality is, in some shape or form, we've all been murderers in our life. What Jesus is revealing here is murder starts with the heart and is acting out with anger or using derogatory or demeaning and insulting language towards other people that tears them down. That's what Jesus is saying. 
He's saying, listen, murder is the destruction of life. And the destruction of life comes in many forms, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And what Jesus is saying here is you guys are so focused on this person over here who took that person's life physically, when all the while you are destroying people emotionally and spiritually by how you treat them, by how you talk to them, by how you tear them down. This is about how you treat people with your words, your actions, and your attitudes. And what Jesus is getting at here is to pursue righteousness is to be a, is to be a community builder. You see, that's our role. Our role is to build community, not destroy community. Yet, we have a tendency, and myself included, we have this tendency to get so law-focused, so focused on the argument at hand, the debate right in front of us, that we get so focused on, I have to win this, I want to be right, that all of a sudden we stop building community. And before you know it, rather than building others up and building life within other people, we are destroying life and tearing others down with, with, as we try to be right, as we try to win the argument. This doesn't mean you have to accept and agree with everything that someone says or what people are choosing to do. But it realizes something. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I have a higher calling. There's something more important here than what's at hand. And my role is something bigger than this. I get so focused, and we all have a tendency to get so law-focused that we just tear each other down. And our higher calling is righteousness and building life up and building community up. See, that's what God is getting to. That's what Jesus is trying to say. He's showing us to live out a greater righteousness is to, cu- is to cultivate a kingdom-focused community. That's, that's what he's driving to. Friends, you're supposed to be life-giving, not life-taking away. You're supposed to build up my kingdom in other people, not tear it down. You see, to have kingdom-focused community is when we realize that every person we encounter, every person, whether it's physically or on social media, every person we encounter is a child of God that, has, that needs the opportunity to be seen and valued and given a chance to have an experience with Jesus himself. That's our role. Yet what tends to happen, we get so focused on our argument that we want to win and our debates that we want to be right in that we are more concerned about winning this argument than building a kingdom-focused community with whoever we encounter. And what tends to happen, we get so heated with these specific issues, whatever they may be, right or wrong, that we forget that the real battle is not that person. It never was. And it never will be. See, the Bible says in Ephesians, Paul writes that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities of the spiritual world. That's what the Bible says. And when the devil wins, when we shift our focus to, that's my battle. And then before you know it, we're life-taking away, we're life-destroying, 
rather than helping the kingdom move forward by helping that person know you're valued, you're loved, and how I treat you, how I respond to you, may I open the doors for you to experience the loving God who died for you. You know what? We miss something else too. Jesus said, the Bible says, that Jesus is the one who changes hearts and minds. Not me. I'm a failure changing hearts and minds. And every time I try to do that, I make it worse. Jesus is the one, Romans 12, who changes hearts and transforms minds. And the Bible also says that our role is to plant seeds and water, and God makes it grow. Yet if you're like me, I have a tendency to get so focused on the debate that I want to win that I, uh, I, I just completely stuff out the Spirit of God to work. And I just hover over that situation. When sometimes God's saying, Bill, will you just shut up and back off? Plant the seed, water, let me do my work. I'm the heart changer. I'm the mind transformer. And that's what he's saying here. Each person we encounter is created by God. Is created by God. That God loves so desperately that he died for them just like he died for you. And if we want to change the world, we got to walk people towards the cross. Not win the debate at hand. That's what Jesus is getting here. Our efforts with every encounter we have with every person, whether it's face-to-face or on social media, is to help that person to be seen, to be valued, and provide an opportunity for them to engage the loving, life-transforming relationship with Jesus himself. And I believe that will change lives and has the ability to change the world. And Jesus says, if you just follow me, we must have a sense of worth of other people. Even if you disagree with them, that's okay. If you read the Gospels, Jesus disagreed with a lot of people. But look how he responded to them. Look how he interacted with them. And compare that sometimes how you respond and react to the people you don't agree with. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you need to see every person has worth. Every person has value. That's what I see. He's saying we need to see that too. And our job is to see a bigger issue here. And we begin to to murder people emotionally and spiritually because we tear them down with our words, with our actions, and how we respond to them. And Jesus is saying, you know, with all these issues of hostility and brokenness. We must, be, we, we must deal with it. These should not be present if you follow me. You need to be life-giving. 
And that Jesus uses these two illustrations. He says, you know, if you, if you have an issue, if you have a broken relationship, if there's something wrong, you have something against somebody else, he says, even before you come to the altar, even before you come to worship me, come to take communion, even before you come into this moment, you run out there and you find that person and you make it right. You fight and you pursue for reconciliation. And he uses a different illustration of a legal scene. And they're walking to their proceeding. He says, if, before you even get to that point of being sued or possibly being thrown in the prison, on the way there, you seek reconciliation. What Jesus is saying here with these illustrations is that the heart of God reflects an urgency to seek reconciliation. My friends, I don't know if we have, as a nation or a culture or a people, enough urgency in our hearts to seek reconciliation. Because I think it would be a lot different if we all did. And what God says is if you're going to follow me, if you want to pursue righteousness to experience my will, you need, a person that ha- you need to be a person who has such a sense of urgency in your heart that you are pursuing reconciliation in every relationship. That's what he's saying. That's how important it is. It's so important. Why? Because I hardwired you for relationships, and every relationship affects each other and affects your relationship with me. Your job is to develop kingdom-focused communities. And if there's any brokenness, you need to run to seek it. Now, we know that reconciliation, peace, is not always possible. Paul writes about it in Romans. But he says, as far as it depends on you, you seek peace. So in other words, as we sit here today, in the relationships in your life that you know are broken, can you say honestly in your full heart, I did everything possible to seek peace, to seek reconciliation? You may be sitting there and say, you did. And you know what? You're not responsible for what the other person is choosing to do or how they're reacting. That's not your responsibility. But some of you may be sitting here like, you know, Bill, I didn't. I threw jabs. I sat at the distance and snipered out there, right? I didn't do everything possible. And I need to make every effort to make peace happen. That's what he's saying there. Regarding adultery... Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus, again, I mean, he's not, he's not taking it easy here. He's going right to the heart of another deep issue of the day and deep issue of, of the heart of mankind. Citing the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Biblically, adultery was understood and is understood to involve any sexual relationships outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. And Jesus radically internalizes the concept of adultery by tracing its root to a lustful look. You know that moment when that look becomes a stare? That person catches your eye? It's not a bad thing when it's like, whoa. 
But then when we don't walk the other way, and all of a sudden it's like, whoop. You know that moment, don't you? That's what Jesus is talking about here. The moment when our look becomes a stare. See, Jesus uses the phrase, when you look at a woman lustfully. It's when we begin to stare, when we begin to internalize, when that person becomes the object of our sexual desire. Jesus is saying at that moment, we've got a problem. And if you don't deal with it now, it's going to become a bigger problem. You've got to address it now. See, we only concern ourselves when we act out physically. Well, if you didn't act out physically, then what's the big deal? See, no, it is a big deal. Because your heart matters. Your heart matters. And when your look becomes a stare, you better do something. You better start to act in that moment to run. Because if you don't, that stare will fester down into your heart and will lead you to some more, even more unfortunate choices in your life. See, Jesus is intending our entire being, the entire person, to pursue the will of God. He's saying, you know, you guys get so concerned, well, if they didn't act out in this way, then they're good. No, Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to be the way, the truth, and the life of your whole self. Not just how you act out physically, but your mind and your heart. I want to be the way, the truth, and the life from the inside out. Because everything about who we are starts from the inside out. It starts here. And Jesus is saying, that's where we have to deal with it. Am I the way, the truth, and the life of your heart? Even before you act out in your life. Because if I'm not, then there's an issue. There's a disconnect. And if I'm not, eventually sin will grip, get a hold of you. And it will pull you down. So even before sin has a chance to do that, let's deal with it. Because if you don't, your heart will become hardened. And you'll do things that you thought you'd never do. Sometimes becoming a person you thought you would never become. And so Jesus is saying... Hey, when that look becomes a stare, act now to get that out of your life, to stop it. See, Jesus says we have a significant responsibility to restrain ourselves sexually, to exercise restraint in our life when it comes to our sexual selves. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And you know what else he's saying? I don't want to hear the excuses. We all make the choice of how we act out sexually. And so regarding the gouging out of your eyes and cutting of your hands, what Jesus is saying here, no, he's not saying, okay, let's go get the chainsaws. We'll go out there today and kind of cut off hands, right? That's not what Jesus is saying here. So I don't want any hand cutting today, all right? I don't want anybody to come back here with an eye missing. What Jesus is saying here is cutting off your right hand. As Tony talked about last week, your right hand is your dominant, so important. It's something of importance in your life. Your eye was something of importance. And so what Jesus is saying here is if you see that look become a stare, then that moment you need to take extreme measures to knock it off. But unfortunately what we tend to do is we just ride the current, right? It's not that big of a deal. I'm just checking her out. 
Who cares? I mean, I didn't really do anything physically. And we just ride the current of the culture, don't we? When Jesus is saying, stop riding the current. When that look becomes a stare, you put on the sound, you sound the alarms in your heart and your mind, and you drastically run from that. Because if you don't, you're walking towards danger. And it will be destructive in your life. And that's what he's getting to. You see, Jesus highlighting to live out righteousness is to take radical measures to avoid giving in to the illicit, to the illicit desires and to avoid the grip of sin. That's what he's saying. Regarding divorce, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 31 to 32, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And I know this is a very difficult section of Jesus' words. And even today, we tend to take these words and use them in different forms or fashions to, to manipulate what we believe is right and wrong based upon our own interpretation. But you know what Jesus is really dealing with here? He's dealing with a specific situation by countering a popular Jewish law concerning divorce. You see, they had a faulty reading of the law in Deuteronomy 24. Jewish laws of the time, based upon what, how they read Deuteronomy 24, provided the authorization of a husband to divorce his right. In other, words, in other words, he's saying, husbands, you have every right to, to uh, divorce your right wife. You can make that choice. And so since we believe that that is right, based upon what we read, he gives her the certificate of a divorce. It, legitimate, it makes divorce right for a husband's choice, not the woman's, but the husband's. So then based upon that, they then expanded their debate back in the Jewish times. And they shifted their debates from the next phrase that said, if he finds something indecent about her. And so they began to debate those words. And some debated it by saying, well, that means if she um, acts out in some way immoral, then he has a right to divorce her. And others took it even to another extreme way in their debates. And they said, well, you know what? If she burned your supper on Wednesday night, on Thursday, you go ahead and give her a certificate of divorce because she's not making you good food. Yeah, they went to all those different extremes in their debates. And then some religious leaders of the day even took the debate further by saying, you know what? There's another line that says she, fi she finds no favor in his eyes. So really what the law is saying, husband, you can divorce your wife if you no longer think she's beautiful and you find another woman more attractive. Go for her. Yeah. That's what Jesus was dealing with. And I can just see Jesus as he's getting to this point saying, hold on a second. Back up the truck. What's wrong with you people? Are you missing my heart? Are you missing what I'm trying to say here? You know, first of all, we need to know that the law in Deuteronomy 24 was not intended to provide some divine sanction for divorce. It was intended to provide a legal provision for the people of that day as they developed a new country and a new land. And Jesus even later in Matthew 19 interpreted this command, not as, I'm sorry, interpreted this not as a command, but as a concession. Why? Because as you read Matthew 19, Jesus' words, he realized man's heart being hardened towards this. And he was dealing with a heart issue more than anything else. You see, Jesus and the law upheld the sanctity of marriage. 
And Jesus is getting the heart that what tends to happen with this covenant is our hearts get hardened to this. And sometimes we lessen the degree and the importance of marriage. See, Jesus still held a high value to marriage. And what tends to happen is we devalue it. Well, like the Pharisees did, we don't love each other, each other anymore. You know, our passion's kind of faded. And let's just throw in the towel and move on. Or some of us, well, why should we get married? Let's just live together. Why even make that covenant? In both ways, we begin to devalue the sanctity of marriage, what the heart of God is trying to get to. And also, Jesus is getting to another point. In these words, he's explicitly holding men accountable for propagating adulterous unions if women are discarded because, hey, I'm moving on. I'm not as attracted to my wife anymore as I once was. And Jesus is saying, you know what, men? It's not, not acceptable. Not acceptable. That's what Jesus is getting to. You know, Jesus is saying, guys, men, you've been devaluing women for way too long by how you treat them and how they're only there for your own pleasures physically. And Jesus is saying, this needs to stop. This needs to stop. Jesus is actually raising the bar in this moment to, to men to value women better than that. To hold them more valuable than that. And that they're not just there for our own pleasures. And you see, men treat women better. And we tend to do it all the time. We devalue women and we devalue them based upon how we treat them, based upon what we look on on computer screens at night, in all these different ways. And Jesus is saying here, guys, we need to hold a higher value to the marriage covenant and our relationship with women in our lives. In this moment, Jesus' words were to drive home that this is serious stuff because this gets to your heart. It's a relational thing. It's initiating divorce. This is serious stuff. And the heart of Jesus' words were, men, you've got to stop taking advantage of women and just using this law to make yourselves feel better. That's what Jesus was saying. We can't just move our hearts ahead and run towards what pleases us. Now, let me take a step back from this for a moment. I do not believe that Jesus' words here are to a case law covering all the do's and don'ts of what makes a divorce legitimate and what doesn't make a divorce. Because as you read the gospel in Jesus' words, it was very fluid in the interpretation and the application. And this is by no means to bring guilt upon anybody who had to walk through the very hard journey of a divorce. You know, the clearest picture that we see of divorce is found in 1 Corinthians 7. But really what Jesus is dealing with here is the realities of what divorce does. It brings brokenness into our lives, into our relationships, and in this fallen world. And what God's heart is, is to walk us towards healthy relationships that build us up rather than tearing us down. And it's true that Scripture says that God hates divorce, and he hates it because how highly he values relationships. And how highly he values the covenant of marriage. 
And he knows it just brings, the more we don't pursue righteousness in all things, it just brings more hurt and brokenness in our relationships. Don't forget this. God hardwired us for relationships. And when relationships fail, it brings a wake of brokenness. And that ultimately is what Jesus is trying to protect us from. That is the heart of God. The more we pursue righteousness, the more we develop kingdom-focused communities, the more we develop healthy relationships with each other and with God. That's what Jesus is driving towards. But you see, what's the problem is we tend to interpret the law so legalistically that we tend to fail to take seriously the depth of God's demand and the extent of our failure. My friends, newsflash, we all fail. We all fail. And the problem is Jesus is saying here is you get so legalistically on the law that you tend to blind yourself of your own shortcomings and you just try to bring other people down because of theirs. And you miss the redemptive side of righteousness pursuit. You see, pursuing righteousness is a pursuit of redemption for us and for every person we come into contact with. And with all that in mind, while we should never compromise our pursuit of righteousness in living by these standards, the hard reality is that our persistent pursuit of uh, failures demands us to, to bring down the opportunity to be redemptive in somebody else's life. The heart of God is the redemptive story of righteousness. That's what kingdom-focused communities are all about. You want to change the world? Change it by pursuing kingdom-focused communities in your world. Change it by pursuing righteousness. You know, when we seek righteousness, we cultivate authentic kingdom-focused community. And I believe when we do that, we have the ability to change the world. My friends, I know I don't think any of us are satisfied with the world we live in, are we? And we just get more broken hearted with the culture we see all around us. But what tends to happen is we just tend to ride the waves of the current of the world hoping that it will change. And before you know it, we find ourselves just pursuing our own allegiances and our own passions in our own heart and our own what we think will be ha make us happy and we just continue to ride the current of the world and in so doing nothing changes and the current just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and we don't see the transformation that Jesus says he has you know when I was on vacation this past week at the place we were at it had this little lazy river and it was a great lazy river. I mean, it had some extreme currents. I mean, the bow blocks, they were, we were cruising the current in this lazy river. And we were spotty surfing it. I mean, it was fun. I mean, it would sweep you away. It was strong. Well, there was one day I was like, huh, I, I want to see if I can walk against the current. And then before you know, I was like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I can kind of get it. But it was hard. It was legitimately hard. And I'm trying to walk. You know, every step, I'm trying to get 
I was like walking like this. I'm trying to get all the way around the current. I want to see if I can make it around. And then before you know, it just became like, I want to do this. I'm walking, and my boys think, Dad, you're an idiot. But I'm like, no, it's pretty awesome. Look, I'm going against the current. I'm making it. I'm doing it. I can do this. And then the Balbock boys thought, okay, Dad, you're an idiot, so we'll be an idiot with you. And they jump in, and they start walking the current with me. And we're kind of walking against the current. And it was hard. And then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, I was like, huh, did they turn it off? And we were starting to walk a little bit faster. And I thought, they turned off the current. Why did they turn off the current? Like, this is weird. Like, who turned off the current? I look down, it's still blowing. I see all the bubbles. And all of a sudden, I realized something. We completely changed the current. It was still shooting the jet streams to fight against us. But we turned around and we changed the trajectory of the current. Completely. My friends, let me tell you something. Drying the waves, the current of our culture will not do anything and it will just tear other people down. We want to transform the world. You know how you do it? It's not getting on Facebook and debating people. It's not going around and arguing about different things. It's about striving and pursuing righteousness and building kingdom-focused communities that every person has a chance to see, be seen and valued and have an opportunity to experience the heart and the love of Jesus Christ, who's the one who transforms hearts and minds. And my friends, when we do that, when we stop just riding the waves of our current culture and our allegiances and our own heart pursuit, but when we change the focus that individually and collectively, collectively we say, I am going to pursue righteousness, and we do it together, you better watch. The current is going to change. You want to change the current? Let's walk together. Let's pursue righteousness. And let's see what God has in store. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you because of what you are doing. And Lord, in this moment, we know it's so much easier just to ride the waves and ride the current based upon what our allegiances and everything else in our life. But Lord God, our focus, is, our calling is higher than that to advance your kingdom. And Lord God, may we become a people that pursues righteousness and that we develop kingdom-focused communities where every person is seen and valued and has an opportunity to experience you. And as we plant those seeds and water that, Lord God, may you make it grow. May we transform our world one person at a time as we help others experience your kingdom and your life-changing presence. It's in your name we pray. Amen.